We good? Am I, all right, so I'm good. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see some of you again. Oh, yeah, we got kids headed down. That's good. Um, my name's Nick. Uh, if we haven't met, I would love to say hi and meet you, uh, get to know you a little bit. Um, but uh, it's good to be back again this morning and sharing with you and uh, just being around. We're actually in town. I uh, grew up in this area just a little further to the west uh, near Terre Haute, Clay County area. I graduated from Clay City High School. Um, and inter- interestingly enough, my um, parents divorced when I was in elementary school, and my parents uh, both remarried later. And uh, funny thing is, is that um, my mom actually had some more kids after that. So I've got a half-brother and a half-sister, and my little sister, uh, who is 18 years old, is graduating this afternoon from Terre Haute South High School. So it's kind of fun. We're in town visiting family and, and uh, seeing different folks, but it's great to be here with you. And it's weird. I, I text her on her 18th birthday and said, congratulations on making it to the age that I was when you were born. I was like, that's a good achievement. It's kind of weird to be doubled up on you right now. But um, it's, it's a neat thing, and a, it's a fun experience, because I did grow up in uh, just down the road during that time period, and born in 1981, 36 years old now. And, and I think back uh, as I kind of look at all this and think about how old I am, and I, there's a lot of stuff I've thought about being from this area and a lot of the fun things that we have going on this weekend, and you hang out with cousins and siblings, you tend to reminisce and look back. But I was thinking about it last night, and I was going... As I was thinking about what I was speaking on today and how do, how do we jump into that topic, and I was thinking about growing up in that time period, there's something I miss very much so. Uh, television's a mess anyway, but there's something I miss very much about when I was growing up on television. I remember those times where there was like a really big buildup for a long time as a kid. There were commercials leading up to this special event, and I feel like there were way cooler TV specials when I was a kid. Because, like, I remember celebrity circuses where, like, we get people, like, barely able to walk a tightrope and say, go for it. It's really entertaining to watch someone else try that and go, oh, yeah, that'd be fun to try. Now we have American Ninja Warriors, just a whole different thing, right? But one of the big ones that I always looked forward to because I found it completely fascinating was the David Copperfield specials, right? I remember growing up with these big, elaborate shows that build up to, and I kind of found it fascinating to see this guy do these massive illusions. But for me, it was more about the small stuff in between. Like, I didn't care if he made the Statue of Liberty disappear, because I knew he was using mirrors or something. Like, there's no way he did that. But, like, how did he make that tie dance on that table? Or how did he make that card be the right card? Or all these things that completely fascinated me. And I was kind of, as a kid, just like, oh, and this is so neat. How do they, I know they're tricks, I know it's not real magic, but like, how do they do it? I know he's tricking me, but I want to know the trick. And so I kind of like leaned into it. I had little magic kits. I remember little cereal box coin tricks where you pulled it this way and the coin was there. And you pulled it this way and the coin wasn't there. And all kinds of fun stuff like that. And I started to learn a few more things as I got older. Uh, and I, I, I was, you know, found YouTube to be a very useful resource. So I was significantly older. And I was kind of learning some of these card tricks going, how do they... People trick other people and, and make this happen. There's two things that are very important that I learned. Number one, I have small hands that are uncooperative. So like trying to hide things is not my strength. I'm not very good at keeping stuff concealed, and it's actually true in my real life too. I'm just not good at keeping the secret, right? And I, I don't like to keep things hidden, and my hands are terrible, and they're clunky, and it just didn't work. But what I learned more importantly than that is there were other people who were considered masters who were, had smaller hands than I did, or who were clunkier at different things than I was, but the trick was misdirection, right? 
If I can get you to focus on this thing over here where I'm talking and telling this big elaborate story, you don't notice what's going on over here. If I can get you to focus on my eyes for a second, you're not paying attention to my hands and seeing what I'm doing in that moment. And it's really interesting to learn how a trick works and to see the simple art of misdirection take place where someone has you so captivated with a story or with something else that they're drawing your attention to that you miss the point that's right in front of your nose so clearly. And it's funny because this morning I kind of want to talk about that idea of misdirection, being misled and focused on the wrong thing. I want to talk about what it looks like to get the most important thing, the thing we're really looking for, the thing we're really hoping to see in our perspective, in our vision, to turn our eyes and see what's the most important thing that's going on here, not to be so quickly distracted by all the other things that the enemy would have us looking at. Because as the church, I feel like sometimes we're really susceptible to misdirection. And this passage of scripture I want to look at this morning in Mark chapter 12 is not one that we would necessarily associate with that, but I think it's an incredible springboard for us to talk about this conversation of the ways we as the church sometimes get so focused in on unimportant pieces of what's going on that we miss the big picture, one of the most important messages that's sometimes right under our nose. And before we dive into Mark chapter 12, sorry, I should not bend over like that. Apologize. My bad. Um, Before we dive into Mark chapter 12, I would just ask you to pray with me. Father, I love you, and I'm thankful for this group of people this morning. I'm thankful for an opportunity to share and be here with the body. Father, I know that... uh, that we are made up of many parts, and though there are different congregations meeting all over the place this morning, Father, that we're all brothers and sisters in your name. That though we may not know each other intimately, Father, that you have pulled us together to accomplish your purposes to build your kingdom here. And this morning, Father, I know of people that are meeting in different places that are struggling with different things. I know of people who are celebrating different events in different buildings around this country right now, Father. I know that there's so many things happening in your body this morning in this very moment. But I pray right now in this moment, as we dive into your word, as we look at the book of Mark, I pray that you would humble our hearts. I pray that you would give us keen eyes and keen hearts that allow us to focus in on your word and the most important things this morning. And I pray that as we wrestle and as we listen, I pray that you would give us the ability to make room for you to hear your voice and to hear you speak to us this morning. I love you. And so the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So Mark chapter 12. Um, Lots of interesting things going on here, but we're going to focus in on this passage starting in verse 13. And no, I'm not going to talk about money this morning other than what this passage talks about because I I just don't want to do that necessarily. But we look at this passage and it talks about paying taxes and everybody's like, oh, that's scary. That's a topic I don't know that I want to talk about right now. And I get that. And that's kind of the controversial topic that's happening. You see, Jesus is in Jerusalem. And this culture in Jerusalem has a lot of turmoil. I kind of think it's probably more similar to where we live today than we would like to think about. There are a lot of different opposing sides who have very strong and adamant opinions on different topics that are taking place. And here in this moment, the Pharisees have this plan. And we'll start reading here in verse 13. And I know that you may be reading from a different translation. That's okay. It's good to get that differing perspective. So follow along how you can and, and hear these words this morning. It says, And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true 
And do not care about anyone's opinion, for you're not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful? So we'll hold off on the it is lawful part for just a second. They, they have this moment here in this passage where they're, they're setting the tone, right? It's kind of like that magician who's setting up this master trick, right? Because there's this crowd gathered around with Jesus, and the Pharisees in this moment have a beautiful plan in place. I have brought a topic to Jesus. That's the plan. I brought this topic to Jesus that is a lose-lose topic. If I bring this up in this crowd here in Jerusalem, there are one of two ways this is going to go. I am setting the tone for this great manipulation. So all the crowd all of a sudden turns their attention to this extremely controversial topic and focuses their eyes and their attention on it, and they will lose sight of this man. Hopefully forget about him altogether because we want people to stop following him, stop giving him such attention, stop giving him such credibility. They want to divert people's thoughts and minds from who he is and what he's trying to accomplish. And so they're setting the stage for this master plan. And they say the very question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Now this question, kind of like so many that we deal with in our culture today, has a lot of different sides and a lot of sides that are very animated and passionate about how they feel. Because here's the the culture of what's taking place in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is controlled by Rome. Jerusalem is this capital city where so much in their history has gone on. So much of their culture, this promised land. We look back at Moses. We look back about God bringing the Israelites out of Egypt and moving them to this promised land. The, the, the efforts of David to build up this this position and to conquer so many of the enemies and then Solomon building the temple and establishing such an empire and such a kingdom in this place and this is their home and they've been exiled from it and there's so many different back and forth moments in their history and here they are now living there but not in control not able to focus on the things they want they have to listen to the Roman Empire and the Roman Empire is this pagan society, this Gentile society, this unclean society who does things very different than our scriptures tell us to live. They focus on things that are not what we're called to focus on. They're doing things very differently and we do not like the fact that they're in charge. And there's great animosity. Even in uh, the the, the story in Luke chapter 2 that we read every Christmas, we see that Caesar sent out this, this call for a census to be taken so that he can tax the people. We don't like this rule. We don't like the government and the structure and the empire they've developed. And here they are taxing us and making us pay for all of this stuff that doesn't benefit us. It just perpetuates this problem that we don't like. But we're forced to pay these taxes. And we're stretched to pay these taxes. It's a very controversial issue because if Jesus says, yes, pay those taxes, then all of a sudden, the good Israelite people may not be so fond of Jesus. Ooh, this guy... Really? Shouldn't we be standing up to Rome? Shouldn't we be taking back what is ours? Shouldn't we be holding on to God's promise that this is our land and our place? Shouldn't we be trusting Him that something better is to come? Because in their minds, the Messiah is going to be this king, this government-type ruler who overthrows Rome and brings about a new kingdom and a new establishment of what David and Solomon built. So they're waiting because they don't want to follow someone who's going to say, yeah, pay taxes. Obviously, Caesar's in charge. Someone who would submit and bow to that authority isn't the guy they want to follow. But at the same time, over here, he could say, no, God's kingdom is the most important thing. 
don't pay the taxes. Caesar's not in charge here. And in that moment, he'd make all the Israelites happy. But the Romans, as they well know, will hear about this. There's this guy out there, just like so many of these other troublemakers that have come along the way. He's telling people not to pay taxes. And he's stirring up trouble. And he's going to cause riots. And he's going to cause revolutions. And he's going to be a troublemaker. And we'll deal with troublemakers because we know how to deal with troublemakers. He's caught between this rock and this hard place. But the beauty of it is, is Jesus is a little bit smarter than they give him credit for. Verse 15, But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is on this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Now here's the cool thing about this moment. We go, man, Jesus just like did this amazing move where he just answered the question right, but then also answered the question right at the same time. Like this amazing ability to not be distracted or misdirected or misguided, to focus on the most important thing and to answer in a way that still says, yeah, Rome's in charge and you need to follow the rules. Yet at the same time, there's something else going on here. And in this moment... There's this little statement, this little tag on to this statement that he makes. What, whose image is on that? Caesar's. And then give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But this next line is extremely important. And I don't think we sometimes give it the significance that it's due. Because he says, give to God what is God's. Now, I grew up in the church and I heard time and time again, over and over again, that every gift we have comes from God. Every dollar that we earn is a gift from him. So my money is his, obviously. So shouldn't I give it back to him? How does that work? What is it that I'm supposed to give back to God? I still want to be following him. I still want to be his servant. I still want to be obedient to him and his call. So how does this work together? But that little statement, the way he phrases this whole thing, may sometimes be confusing to us. But to those people in that moment, there is a reason they stood in awe and marvel of what he just said and did. Because he's throwing back not just to a statement that they can understand about taxes, but to a statement that they've heard many, many times before, a statement that Moses probably wrote down early on in the book of Genesis, a statement that they've read and heard and recited their entire lives, a statement that we find in chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 27, that just simply says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Whose picture's on the coin? Well, that's Caesar's. That's his inscription. That's his money. Jesus in that moment was like, that that money doesn't have value to me. That money is all about a rule of a kingdom that is here in the present, in this moment. And that rule and that kingdom, just like so many others, will fall because he knows He knows that the the kingdoms and the, the governments and the things that we establish here are all temporary. He says that image is to focus on a man who's in charge here in this moment, and that's his money. This is his system of government. This is his law. This is his way of trying to take care of his kingdom, his roads, his buildings, his government systems, his soldiers, all the things he needs to worry about, the here and the now, in order to build a name and a system and an empire that revolves around him. Give that to him. I'm not worried about it. But in saying whose image is on that coin, there's this subtle little reference to, 
well, what's God's then? If we're supposed to give to God what is God's, what bears the image of God? Each and every man and woman. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Each and every person that was ever created bears the image of God. You see, in this moment, there's this misdirection that's taking place from the Pharisees who are trying to get the people to focus on a controversial topic and take their eyes off of Jesus' teaching. And in that moment, Jesus readjusts their focus. He puts first thing first in the conversation. He turns their eyes back to what's most important, one of the most important truths that we sometimes forget that was spelled out to us in the very beginning of Genesis chapter 1, that each and every one of us bears the image of God. Each and every one of us was created in His image. Each and every one of us is His beloved creation, a child cared for deeply by the Father. Now we let sin enter the world. We let sin break and distort the image. But Jesus is here to give back to God what is God's. To restore back to Him what was always His. I don't care about the money. You give that to Caesar. That's his mess. That's his kingdom. That's his empire. It will eventually crumble. But the empire I am building, the things that I am working towards, the stuff that I am creating in this moment, it's not going anywhere. You just worry about giving back to God what is God's. And what's that mean? I think for us practically today, there's a couple of ways we can get distracted and start focusing on empires ourselves. Because in that moment, we're reminded that the government of that time, the Roman Empire, the things that were being built was a powerful, powerful empire. It was ruling and spreading, and it was far-reaching, and it was incredibly intimidating to a lot of other people in the world. The Roman Empire demanded a lot of respect. It had a great name about it. it everybody knew who they were and what they could do. And the thing is, is that empires are sometimes built. And we have a lot of confidence in a structure and a system and what's successful and what seems powerful. And we can get really focused on the here and the now of this world. The building a name for ourselves, a career for ourselves, staking up great amounts of wealth and possessions and land and things here and the now to build kingdoms and empires and names for us. And when we get distracted on the here and the now, we're no better than Caesar, who are building a kingdom in this moment and a place for ourselves. I don't worry about the other people around me. I'm only concerned about my own well-being, my own wealth, my own influence, my own authority. I'm only concerned about what I'm building for me, a legacy here and now that bears my name. And we get so off focus. We're putting other things first, and we're, we're working long hours at the neglect of our family. We're we're stepping over top of people all along the way to climb to the top of the ladder to make that name for ourselves. We're complaining and calling the police on our neighbor because they cut a bush that fell on my land. Or what other silly things that we complain and argue about in our world and our culture because it affects and impacts my little kingdom, my little world, my little empire. And if the world isn't revolving around me, I'm frustrated. We would say up here that it's not about me. But in reality, our actions sometimes put me first and say it's all about what I can create and gain for myself. And we're misdirected, we're misguided, our focus and our attention are turned to the wrong thing. And we're missing the obvious truth that's right under our nose. In the same way, the Pharisees in this story. The Pharisees are very focused on the law. 
They're focused on God's kingdom. They're focused on the promised land. They're focused on what they think God wants them to be. They're focused on making sure the people obey every rule and every law and every word that was ever written, not just by Moses, but all the ones that they've written on top of law after law after law. The law kind of worked like this. Don't work on the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Honor it and keep it holy. So we can't work. So that means we can't make food. That means we have to do this. That means they would write laws upon laws upon laws to keep as far away from breaking the original as possible. But they would condemn everyone just as equally for not following man's law that they created to protect from breaking God's law. And we put heavy burdens on people. We made people feel guilty constantly. And the Pharisees lorded their position and their righteousness and their religion over everybody else. And if you weren't as good as us, you just weren't as good. And in this moment, Jesus is bringing about this new sense of what it means to follow God. And they don't like it because it's messing with the structure they've built. And I think sometimes we can get misguided and misdirected on what I'm trying to accomplish here is very holy. It's all about following my rules. It's all about making sure I attend regularly. It's all about making sure I give the right amount. It's all about making sure I say the right words and read the, amount of, the right amount of time in the course of a day. And we're so worried about the structure of an institution, whether it's God's or not. In our heart and our motive, even may be pointed in the right direction, but we're still missing the obvious point that's right under our nose. That Jesus' purpose and mission in this place was not about building a name and a kingdom for ourselves. It was not about building another great empire. Because here's the problem. Do you know when Jerusalem really started to experience problems? After David came along and he, he conquered the enemies and he's a man after God's own heart and he's doing all these amazing things. And his son is building the temple and we think that's an amazing thing. But slowly they just continue to acquire wealth. It continues to acquire outside influence. It continues to acquire so much that his eyes and attention are focused on what they have built. And they're not trusting God for every need because the the treasury supplies every need. They're not trusting God to win every battle because the enemy has been crushed. And all of a sudden they become so comfortable in their established sense of who they are, that God needs to remind them that they have to depend on Him regularly. And all of a sudden, because they're focused on themselves, because they're building things for themselves, even Solomon, who had great wisdom, makes these foolish decisions to focus in on what he has established for himself, what, what things are providing and providing comfort and giving security. And they take their eyes off of God, and all of a sudden, his sons split the kingdom. And everything starts to fall apart, and that's where we get into the Old Testament. There's this constant, this was a terrible king, this was a terrible king, this was a terrible king, this one was okay, this one did pretty good, but then we were back to terrible again. And this constant influx of not trusting and relying and following on God because we've forgotten the most important thing, that we were created in the image and likeness of God. That doesn't mean we are God. God. It doesn't mean we're supposed to achieve the same things as him. It means we are supposed to be like him in every way and follow him in every way. And Jesus in this moment is saying, I have come to give back to God what is God's. And that is his people. To establish a kingdom that is not built on finances or wealth, that is not built on prestige and look at me. It's not built on self-righteousness. It is built on humility that says, I don't need to worry about this. This, this, or this. My eyes are fixed on him, and I know that I am his, and I know that I am loved. I know that I am pursued. I know that I am valuable to him. And not only that, 
I know that every person I encounter in my life has the same value and same worth. And when I live in a way where I realize that I am truly His, that I am in His hands and I belong to Him, and I live in a way where I recognize every neighbor, every enemy, every frustrating person I've ever encountered in my life is His and belongs to Him. And my call is to give back to God what is God's. I can stay focused on what Jesus is teaching. I can keep the first thing and the most important thing, the most important thing. And I can take my eyes off all the other distractions and say, I have been called to invest in the kingdom. No other empire, no other kingdom, just the kingdom. The kingdom where the only mission has ever been to restore relationship with God's created, beloved children and himself. Because the image was put into us from the start and we broke it. Adam and Eve took of that fruit and they chose to want to be more like God to have the things he has without involving him in the process. And that broke the relationship because we decided we were going to do things our own way. We took our eyes off of following him and forgot that we were his creation. We forgot that we were loved and made in his image. And we started to take things for ourselves instead of give back to him what is his. And because of that, the whole process of restoration had to begin. The whole process, in that moment, we get this prophecy that I'm going to eventually send one who will crush the head of the serpent. This beautiful prophecy that happens all the way in Genesis, we know Jesus is coming because he's been talked about since the first book. And here he is, not to continue to put heavy burdens and heavy chains and heavy, and to build a kingdom that overthrows Rome, not to accomplish any of that stuff, but to declare God's name and to give back to God what is God's. Those who are created in his image and in his likeness. And so what does that mean for us today? It means we have to wrestle with what we put our trust in. It means we have to wrestle with what our hope is and where we stand on all these different controversial topics all around the world. Am I worried more about my political stance than I am with about returning to God what is God's? Am I more worried about my financial standings and am I well taken care of than I am about returning to what is God, what is God's to God? Am I more concerned with doing things a certain way because that's the way I was always taught to do them? Or am I more concerned about returning to God what is God's? As a kingdom, as a people, as a church, we are called to see the mission. Jesus says, they'll know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. We'll We'll know that the Holy Spirit is working in you when we see the fruits of the Spirit lived and out lived out in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I often wonder if I were to like, survey my neighbors and friends, how many of them would score me how well on all of those things. When I start wrestling with all of these benchmarks that Jesus sets, is this is how you'll know you're doing the right thing. When you're giving back to me what is mine, when you're returning to me what was already paid for at my expense... When you're concerned with that as the most important thing and you put first things first by giving me back my people, all of the other stuff seems to fade away and all of these misdirections and distractions and the things we get so wrapped up in just don't seem important anymore. Because whenever my brother or sister are hurting, I'm hurting. When they're celebrating, I'm celebrating. Whenever someone just seems to be in a broken and lost place and just don't know where to turn... Am I more concerned with my agenda, my time, my schedule, my finances, my stuff? 
Am I more concerned with my political standing and my opinion on that person's lifestyle? Or am I more concerned with returning to God what is God's? Because each and every one of us was created in the image and likeness of God. And every single one of us is guilty of breaking and distorting that image. None of us has a leg up on the other. All of us have a gift in Jesus. And when we recognize that we were all created in the same place, we're all broken in the same way, and we've all been restored in the same way, when we gain our perspective back and realize the most important thing is just accepting the beautiful gift that's been given and pursuing the most important thing with all of our heart, that's when we get kingdom work done. That's when we start accomplishing the most important things. Not getting caught up in the tough questions. Not getting tough, And I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about things. We absolutely should. But in the midst of those moments, if we're so focused on having the right answer versus remembering that I'm supposed to be returning to God, what is God's? It's the misdirection. It's getting caught up in the moment of something that doesn't matter and missing the most obvious thing that's right under my nose. It's my friends, my neighbors, the people around me, the people who may not know, the people who may know but just need to grow. Whatever it is, our mission needs to be about returning to God, what is God's. And so this morning, I know that some of us probably have something in our hearts and our lives because we are all a broken people who have room to grow. No matter how young, how old, how experienced, inexperienced, it doesn't matter. We all have brokenness. Paul himself established the church and wrote half the New Testament. And he says in Romans, I still do what I don't want to do, and I'm still struggling to always do the right thing, and I still have this thorn in my side, and I still am a mess. And if Paul is a mess, I promise we've probably got some work to do. So the question is, what does God want to refine in me? What does he want to take my attention and focus off of that I am overly consumed with? And how does he want to turn my eyes back to the most important thing, the thing that's just obvious and right there, that we were all created in his image? We've all broken and distorted that image in some way, but we've all been given a clean slate and the ability to pursue him with all of our hearts. And now it's just about surrendering our lives and the lives of others back before his feet and saying, we're yours. Caesar can have his kingdom. I want to be about your kingdom. So this morning, whatever that is, I pray that you wrestle with that. I pray that you think about it. And I'm going to, I assume we're going to maybe sing a song and I'm going to have a word of prayer for us. And I'm going to ask you all to stand if you would. And I think it's good to stand up here a little bit and just think <laughs> and wrestle. Well, whatever it is you've got to pray with about, if you need somebody to pray with, you may know somebody in this room far better than you know me. I'm happy to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. Um, but maybe you just need to seek somebody out and say, man, I'm wrestling with this, or maybe I've held this attitude, or maybe I've done this. Whatever it is, I believe that every time we walk into these doors, it should be about spurring each other onto something better that we've been called to. And if we're not taking active, intentional steps towards improvement, why do we show up? And so the question is, what is God trying to do in your life this morning? And what steps do you need to take to put first things first? Let's pray. Father, I love you. And I am not worthy of being called your child. I have broken and distorted in that image in more ways than I'd like to think about. But I stand here and give you such praise and glory and honor this morning and surrender myself to you because I know that you are a good and loving Father who has always, since the very beginning, had a plan in place to restore that relationship with me so that I can be handed back over and surrendered to you for service 
to do your work and to accomplish the work that you set out to in the beginning, which is to restore people back to you, to put first things first and give back to you what is yours. And so, Father, this morning, I know that you're not concerned with so many of the things we try to build for ourselves here. The one thing you're concerned about is the same prayer you taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so today I pray that you would provide for us exactly the words, exactly the steps we need to make your kingdom a priority here in the now. I love you, and it's in the wonderful name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.